Good morning, everyone. All right, thank you. Come on, good morning. Could be nice. My name is Dominic. I'm one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, wonderful to meet you. Uh, I love, one thing I love about Seacoast is just the community and everybody loves each other. Some churches you go and visit and they just don't talk to each other. This kind of thing would never happen, but the community loves each other and that's the secret sauce of Seacoast. So, so fun to see it in action. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're in the book of John and we're in the book of John for a very long time together as a church. So in print or in paper, uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter one. We're going to talk today, uh, finishing what Ryan was talking about last week. It's the poem that starts John chapter 1. And this sermon, we're going to go through 20 verses this morning in 25 minutes, hopefully, which is like 35 minutes for preacher count. But it's a long text, and there's a lot in it. Just one verse, the first verse we read, we could write multiple of libraries of books on. And they exist already. We could talk about it forever, so I'm going to give a very high-level, hopefully like intelligible and intelligible, like you can understand what I'm saying, but it's a lot. If you are a note taker, go ahead and grab a pen because I'm going to throw out a ton of scripture your way that you can go and read on your own afterwards, okay? So as we start, I normally don't say my conclusion of what I'm talking about, but the conclusion of this book and the conclusion of the sermon is twofold, and it's the same conclusion that John, the author of this book, writes. And he writes it in this, he says in chapter 20, Verse 30 and 31, he says this. I write this book because this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The two points of this message this morning are that you, me, would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And two, that if you've believed that and accepted that and received that, that you are finding life in his name the way that he designed. So if you tune out after that and now you're like watching Super Bowl commercials and getting prepped for that, that's the hope this morning. But as we go through the book of John, just remember that John's purpose of this whole book is that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited one that we've been waiting for and longing for and crying for and burying our family and talking about generation after generation that one day one will come and make things right. And it's found in Jesus. And two, that in walking with him, no longer slave, but made a child of God, made a new creation in him. And there's life in him and life in his name. And we look at the life that Jesus lives as a model to say, this is what life in the upside down kingdom of the kingdom of heaven looks like. And so stay with me as we go through very high level, lots of verses. Pray for me this morning. 20 verses in 25 minutes is no small deal this morning. And you'll see what I mean by the first verse. As a way of reminder, the book starts There's the word logos, this divine order, this divine structure, and he becomes flesh. He's in the beginning, he's with God, and he is God. And he goes through this beautiful poem of light and dark, and and we see in that, that as Ryan pointed out last week, that he's an eternal God, that he's existed since the beginning of time. He lives outside of the space-time continuum that he's always been, that he's creator at the creation, he's there. The word is, is in and active in that creation. And he's fully God. He's not partially God. He's not a little lowercase a God, but he is God. And John moves from this abstract idea to this concrete idea, and he says this in verse 14. Follow with me if you have your Bible. He says, the word became flesh 
we could talk about that for hours. In heaven, we'll talk about it for eternity. The word of God, the one that always existed, fully God, creator, eternal, became flesh. And not just like the appearance of flesh, but John says, no, 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 he, he becomes actual man. He's tired. He knows what it's like to have back pain. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to experience the loss of a friend. He knows like what it's like to in, have interpersonal interactions. That he's experienced everything. He's the vulnerable shell of man he becomes. And he's fully God. He doesn't give up Godhood, but he's fully God and fully man. The word becomes flesh. And he dwells among us. That word literally tabernacle. He sets up shop, he moves into the neighborhood and dwells with us, with his creation. The creator, the eternal being, now dwells in flesh and lives amongst his creation. To the Greek listener, they would have been stunned and said, whoa, 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 whoa. The axiom of our belief is this, is that the divine being is separate from the mundane life. And you're saying that God incarnate becomes flesh? To the Jewish listener, the Jewish listener is stunned and saying, hold on, you just said God tabernacles among us. See, the tabernacle in Exodus, we would see that that's where God meets with Israel. It's where God's glory is reserved for this one space. And they would go and meet with him and see him. And now to say that God's glory is on full display and has access to it all the time in the person of Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I hope you get the sense of awe of that this morning. It's a big deal. I have to say it in two minutes, but my gosh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The king would lower himself and subjugate himself so much so to demonstrate his covenant promises to us, to demonstrate his love, which we'll see about. Verse 14 continues, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who from the Father, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Not only does the word become flesh, not only does he tabernacle amongst us, there's something set apart about him. There will never be and never is another one like Jesus. The one and only, the Greek right there just talks about the, the special, unique, belovedness, set-apartness that is in Jesus alone. There's no one like him. There's no other son of God, but the son of God becomes the son of man in this beautiful picture that John is displaying to grab our attention and our heart to say the Messiah has come. There's none like him. There will never be one like him. And we see his glory is now on display. And he comes in full of grace and truth. That idea is borrowed from an Old Testament phrase where we see the steadfast love or hesed. It's a, it's a character of God. It's, it's who he is. He isn't just loving. He is love, as 1 John would remind us. His steadfast love, his loving kindness that endures through the generations for ages and ages. He's come flesh, and that's what he's modeling and carrying out, his steadfast love. He's demonstrating his love to us. And his faithfulness, his faithfulness to his covenant promises, that God is faithful to what he said he would do. He's a keeper of his covenant. He's a keeper of his promises. And Jesus is the fulfillment, the word, 
becomes flesh and dwells among us. He's the keeper of those promises, full of grace and truth. Jesus, ultimately we see he becomes the full display of God's unmerited favor to us. That his creation, his own creation that he dwells among, rejects him. And so we see God's beautiful grace, his covenant promises coming together in the word made flesh. Verse 15, follow with me. John testifies concerning him and he cries out, this was he whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Literally just meaning he's God. He existed before I did and now he's coming in flesh. From the fullness of grace, we have received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, the only begotten, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. He says, Moses was great. Moses was a deliverer. He literally led people out of slavery. He led the nation of Israel to freedom. And in that freedom, through God, he comes down with a beautiful way of living called the law. And in that law, it reveals our need for rescue and redemption. But it also reveals God's beautiful and gracious character. It's a God-given law that says, this is what justice looks like. This is how you deal with one another. This is how you have a relationship with me. It's a beautiful thing, but it's incomplete. And Jesus comes, and he's the fulfillment of all those things. He's a superior Moses. He brings a superior redemption. Yes, Moses redeemed Israel out of Egypt, but Jesus has the power to save souls. He has the power to change destinies. He is superior Moses, a superior redemption, and he comes with the superior law, which is the law of the Spirit, that in him we find redemption and forgiveness of sins, we find newness of life. But he gives us the gospel, and the good news is that we don't have to earn and deserve it. We did nothing to gain favor with him. It's solely a gift of God. There's nothing that we could do to earn it from him. We just receive the gift and stand in awe of the word who made flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see that? No one has ever seen him. It's, a, it's kind of a fun picture because Moses in Exodus 33, 19 and following, we see that Moses asked to see the face of God. And the Lord gives, has this encounter with Moses and, and he says, no one's ever seen my face because if you see my face, you'll die. So they strike up a deal that he puts his hand over Moses in a cleft of a rock, and I'm going to move my glory in front of you, and I'll let you look at my backside. It's kind of a funny deal. Like, you can see my backside. It's my best part, you know. You can catch a glimpse of my backside, Moses. But no one's ever seen the face. But now, Jesus, face to face, word made flesh, dwelling among us, God incarnate, representing grace and truth, the old covenant promises, the covenant keeper right here in the flesh, face to face with his creation. You want to see the face of God? You see that in Jesus. A mind-blowing thing that we hear in these first verses to conclude the prologue of this beautiful poem 
the one who became flesh, who always existed and dwelt among us. And he's made him known. The true is for us this morning. That's true for us this morning. He's known. There's no mystery in that. Jesus is the one we've been waiting for. As I was reading this, I just thought, do I know him? As I was thinking of you this week, I thought, do you know him? It begs the question, do you know him this morning? And maybe more importantly, do you believe in him? And what do you believe about him this morning? We'll see in the book of John, there's over seven different statements about Jesus and who he is. From Messiah all the way to, he's the guy from Nazareth. Isn't he a carpenter's son? We see that the religious think he is a heretic and they want to put him to death. They can't believe that he's receiving honor and praise like he's God. So who do you say about Jesus this morning? Do you know him? I don't mean about him, I mean know him. The word tangible in flesh, the incarnate God, do you know him this morning? See, I grew up in the church and I could recite scripture after scripture. I knew everything about God that I thought. You would have said, I'm a Christian. My life looked nothing like him. Though I had tenants that I knew about him, I knew nothing about him in a relationship. That's like saying, I know the guys on the Eagles, because I've watched them on TV, which I haven't. I don't care about football, honestly. I'm there for the snacks. <laughs> but you don't know them. Do you know him, this intimate knowledge of him? Do you know him? The first name is that you would. And not only that you would know who he is, not as a good teacher, which he is, but as the son of God who became the son of man to dwell among us, to live a life that we could never live, to fulfill the law that we could never keep, to bring ultimate redemption, through repentance, he brings reconciliation, through relief, he brings life. Do you know him this morning? The second testimony that we see as we continue in the next verses, you guys with me okay? Yeah, it's a lot, yeah? Verse 19, we get another testimony, this time from a different John, John the Baptist. Now this is a testimony. When John, when the, when the Jews came to John in Jerusalem and sent priests and Levites and asked him who he was, he did not fail to confess freely that I am not the Christ. Then they asked, then who are you? Are you Elijah? I am not. Are you the prophet? No. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, he said, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now, some of the Pharisees who, who had heard this and been sent questioned him. And they said, why do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John said, I baptize with water but among you stands one you do not know. And he is the one who will come after me, the thongs of the sandals I'm not worthy to tie. We don't like that word, but it says thongs. And this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. If you want to read later, Luke 1 through 3, we see John the Baptist. We see kind of the most that we have in Scripture about John the Baptist. But a quick backstory. 
He's the son of Zechariah the priest and Elizabeth, who is a relative of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Elizabeth is barren, and the Gabriel the angel comes to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son, and his name will be John. And he has a unique mission in life that he is going to come and turn hearts back to the Lord. And ultimately, they have John, and we don't see much about him in life, but we, we see him around the age of 30 now having this ministry. He is the baptizer. He's not a baptizer. He's like the baptizer. He's the biggest show on the planet. And he's kind of a hipster. I always thought he looked like Captain Caveman for a generation that like, could think of that guy. But he's kind of a hipster. He's wearing camel hair clothes, leather goods, and he's eating like wild-caught, non-GMO, locust, and wild organic honey. And he's in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people. And they're growing, and his ministry's growing, and he's saying, repent, confess, and be baptized. I'm making a path in the way this, that's coming, that there's, the king is coming, the Messiah is coming. Make way the path straight. And these Jews come to him, and, and just so we know for the book of John, as you think of the word Jews, John is a Jew, and so is Jesus. So it's a better shorthand of saying the Jews that oppose John and Jesus, ultimately. But these Jews come to him, and we see in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, John's calling these religious Jews out. And he says, you brood of vipers. That doesn't translate much for that. If I called you a brood of viper, you'd be like, I don't even know what you meant right now. But he means this. You slithery, slimy, poisonous, contentious people. You hypocrites. Your teaching is dangerous. There's venom in your speech. You are literally the sons of Satan. And you're coming to watch me baptize, but I see your motive. You brood of vipers. So when they come questioning, it's not like this lovey thing of like, we're so excited, what's happening? We're seeing the multitudes and crowds come to you. No way, this is an awesome moment in time in history. They're saying, who the heck are you? Are you the Messiah? I'm not him. Are you Elijah, the forerunner that's prophesied in Malachi 4 or 5? Not him. Are you the prophet that's prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, 15? I'm not him. Well, then who the heck are you? Who the heck are you to tell us, the religious, who have the key stakeholders of law right now? We are the ones, the authorities on this right now. Who are you to baptize? And John is a guy that I loved. I played in a band named after one of the verses that we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But it follows the life of John the Baptist. The most surprising thing about John the Baptist is his ability to deflect glory onto the king. He says, who am I? I'm a guy who baptizes with water. But there's one that's coming, and you don't know him, and that's actually my concern. You don't know him. You don't even recognize him. But he baptizes with fire and the Spirit. He literally controls your soul's destination. So who am I? I'm just a guy. But honestly, I'm a herald of the king. Isaiah 41 through 5, it's the prophecy that talks about the one that's going to make way the straits and say, make way for the king. I'm going to herald just going, the king is coming, the king is coming, the king is coming. Get ready. Do you know him? 
Repent, confess, be baptized, turn our hearts back to Him so that when the King comes, He can see that we're prepared for Him. Do you know Him? He's a big deal. I know you think I'm the big deal, but He's coming, and I'm going to gladly and willingly give Him all the glory. All my ministry successes where I should be like, no way, Jesus, this is my territory. I'm going to say, it's all for you, King. The Messiah has come. Here He is. Do you know him? I can't even untie his sandals. You see, a disciple would never do such a menial task as untying the sandals of the one he followed. It's, it was thought to be way too low for a disciple to do that. Even for slaves in most districts, it was unlawful for a slave to untie the sandals of the master. And John is saying that task It's too lofty for me to attain to. That's how big of a deal the one is coming. The word made flesh dwells among us. That's how big of a deal it is. The glory of grace and truth that we've never seen is now revealed in him. And I'm testifying to that. He's a big deal. I would never even think of touching the dirt and dung on his feet to take off his sandals. Do you know him? Don't worry about my identity. Do you know him? I'm secure in my identity. I'm just a forerunner. Do you know him? And in verse 29, we finish the account of the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I did not myself know him, but the reason I came to baptize with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove remained on him. I would not have known him except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I have seen him, and I testify that he is the Son of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Passover Lamb has come. God's sacrificial gift has come. The one who will make all things right has come. And there he is! He's here. Are you ready? No way. He's here. My whole life, since I was in my mom's womb and I grew up, and they they told me that my mission in life was to talk about the one who was to come, was to be about the king's business until he returned. Here he is, the Lamb of God who will take away sins, not just the sins of Israel, but the sins of the world. He's the one who removes stain and who makes us clean. Without knowing it, we get to break up with law. We get to break up with the system of sacrifices that we've been doing for centuries because the ultimate sacrifice has come. The Lamb of God has come. Do you know him? Do you see him? Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? The voice of the Father has 
revealed who it is to me, and I see the Spirit not just stay, coming and going, but staying on him and remaining. It's another fulfillment in Isaiah that's prophesied about. And he says, you are my son, which is the fulfillment of Psalm 2, in whom I am well pleased, which is the fulfillment of Isaiah 42. In one breath, the Father declares his identity and his position with the Father in Jesus. He's my son. And I'm well pleased in him. And John, you get to see this up close. That's your gift. As the herald, you get to now see God made flesh dwelling among you in person. John's response is, who the heck am I to baptize you? Like, I'm baptizing for repentance, but you're the son of God. There's no repentance needed. You don't need to be clean. You're, you're the one who makes us clean. It should be a role reversal. And we could say a lot on that, but just this, in, in Matthew 3 again, verse 15, Jesus says, this is the way it should be. It's the fulfillment, fulfillment of all righteousness. There's something righteous about the act of John baptizing, the one who came before and now the one who comes after. And from there on, we see John's ministry diminished. We'll see that over the coming weeks. And we see Jesus' ministry increase. As we close and we invite the band back up, I know that was a lot this morning. I hope I said it in a way that was succinct and understandable, that you can grasp the magnitude of the King of Kings leaving his throne in heaven to come down and become flesh and dwell among us, to ultimately be despised and rejected by his creation, to die on a cross like a common criminal, to be buried and then to rise again triumphantly. Do you know him this morning? Have you placed your trust in him this morning? Have you placed your confidence in him? Not in a religion, not in an institution, but in the Son of God becoming Son of Man. Is he a real person to you? Do you talk with him? Do you listen to him? Do you walk with him in step? My invitation to you this morning is to do that. In the words of John, would you repent? Would you change your mind? The way that you're living, would you do an about face and say, I've tried my way, Jesus, I'm trying yours. I choose to walk with you. I choose to trust in your sacrifice, the God-given sacrifice that you've made. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and I am in need of rescue. Save me. And if you've trusted in him, are you finding life in him today, church? Are you finding contentment and satisfaction that he's a sufficiency for all needs? Or is he like the additive in your life? Do you live in such a way that you're the forerunner going, there's the king, he's coming, do you know him? Do you live in such a way that others take notice and say, what's the hope that you have? And you have the reason, it's Jesus. Are you living in freedom or are you perpetually coming back into relationship with law and saying, I'm not good enough, oh God, please save me. When God's saying you're a child of the king, stand up, lift your head, child of the king and know that you're fully forgiven. Not because you earned it. Not because your parents knew about it. 
Not because you read your Bible today. Not because you prayed X amount of times a week. Not because you were in a Bible study. Not because you went to serve day. Not because you were on a mission trip. Not because you went to youth camp. But because you trusted in my finished work. That's it. I'll take care of the rest. Are you finding life in him today? Did you even know that's what he wanted for you today? It was not this drudgery of, oh no, religion and I suck. It was life and life abundantly. It was freedom in a way we didn't even know we could ask for that. It was hope and healing and rescue and love given to us to be expressed by us. Do you know him today? Who do you know him to be this morning? And are you finding life in his name? Church, my prayer for you is all three of those things happen in your life. Would you come to know him and walk with him? Would you come to know just how loved you are this morning by the king? And would you live in such a way that invites others into that love? Amen? 20 verses in 25 minutes. There we go.